guys, it's Lori. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Check them out at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 170, how to biblically engage the trans conversation. Yes, hello and welcome to that Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I do have my co-host, Matt Krieg, with us. You're going to hear him in a little bit. And we also have the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. I said that real like sneaky like <laughs> like it's a mystery Here, it's a mystery we're gonna solve today <laughs> oh man guys this episode is one i have been looking forward to because it is so important everyone needs to know if you i want to say even just christians everybody needs to understand the transgender conversation uh so that we can listen and love well uh when engaging this conversation we're going to talk about how it's more than just two sides it's not like oh i'm a christian i believe this because there's so many caveats do you transition do you not transition how what's the bible say about transitioning uh how do we engage uh with our kids if they come out to us uh as transgender what is rapid onset gender dysphoria is it just a trend is this like a real life thing so we really are so looking forward to the conversation today with dr preston sprinkle now before we dive in there i did want to remind you one more time guys we get emails often from you all and we so love and appreciate them sometimes they're just encouragement but uh sometimes they are really deep heartfelt questions just asking uh, for our advice when it comes to situations you're dealing with we love offering next step resources, but sometimes we can't do that as much as we uh, really would be able to if we were walking alongside you. So we sometimes will refer you to coaching that I do with you all. Uh, you can find this at lauriecreek.com shop. And this is where I meet with you one-on-one -on -one, and I try my best to draw on 10 years of full-time ministry experience uh, as well as listening to the Holy Spirit to offer you a next right step, whatever you're going through, um, to help you. Should I even get counseling? How should I respond to my kid? How do I walk through this thing I'm wrestling through? Anything that we've engaged on the podcast, if that seems like something to have a friend in the trenches with you, you can find that at lauricreek.com slash shop. Oh, guys, I am so excited to welcome back to the show Dr. Preston Sprinkle. He is a New York Times bestselling author and the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. We're big fans around here. Uh, but he is the host of the popular podcast, Theology in the Raw, and has written a dozen books, including People to Be Loved, which we've referenced and uh, referred you all to many times here. Uh, and the book we will explore today it's called Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. Preston, welcome back. Hey, it's so good to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me on. We're so glad to have you. Man, guys, I know you are and we are so eager to dive into the content here, but we're going to do a warm-up with a, light, uh, a lighter question of the week from last week, just to get to know you, our audience, better and get to know Preston a little better. And it's this, Preston, household chores mowing the lawn, et cetera. Which chore do you not mind doing? 
mowing the lawn would be the one that I would not mind doing. Um, yeah, so we've got a decent sized yard just under an acre. So I've got this riding lawnmower. Oh, there you go. And it's really slow. So it takes me a good couple hours to mow the lawn. So I usually get two or three podcasts in. I get to eat sunflower seeds and uh, I'm basically out of commission for a couple hours, which is kind of nice. So yeah, absolutely mowing the lawn. I love it. So you don't assign that to one of your kids. You're like, this is mine. I, I, they, they, they want it. It's a, it's a, it's a coveted uh, chore, but I, I try to take it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Steve, which listener response were you like? Oh yeah. Yeah. I liked what Danae said. Laundry, except for putting away dishes, except for putting away tidying up, except when there's no place for the junk to go. Right. Uh, yeah. I can kind of relate to all of those. Um, laundry. I like the most cause you know, you can watch TV while you're folding. Right. Um, or listen to a podcast. Uh, same for dishes. Um, and we don't have a dishwasher, so I just like clearing the kitchen of all the stacking up piles. So I feel that. Yeah. Matt Creek, how about you? Also, glad you're here to to now not only just be here, but to also even answer this question. It's been a minute, Matt, since yeah. you've been on the podcast. Glad you're here. Yeah, I will go with what Nolan said, dishes. Because I don't mind doing the dishes. We do have a dishwasher, and I am the only one in the house that knows how to load it correctly. <laughs> so I don't mind doing that. Uh, I think I'm in the, the same field mm-hmm. as all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what? What was that? <laughs> Throat clear, Matt. That seems strategically placed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm with you guys. Uh, this is Jonathan's response. I don't mind vacuuming, folding laundry, or washing dishes unless there's dried cheese on there. Ugh, with the puke emoji. Feel that. Because I can listen or watch something uh, while I'm doing it. And the same thing. It's like, we are of what accord. You can listen. Anything that you can just kind yeah. of escape a little bit. You get something done and you can listen. So, to something like even this very episode. Preston, coming back to you, my friend. Uh, we've asked you this question before, so I'm just going to ask the the current day gospel related question for you. Mm-hmm. Purpose of this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. So we've asked everyone uh, about when that gospel was first good news for them, but how is it still? I've asked you when it was first good news. So let's talk about mm-hmm. how do you need the good news of Jesus, death, resurrection, uh, and love yeah. for you today? I, you know, I was just thinking about this the last couple of days, um, hopefully not just the last couple of days, um, but more specifically, just coming back to that idea of just that, um, the aggressive grace of Christ, you mm-hmm. know, that when we are not pursuing him, when we are apathetic, when we are down or having a lull or feel like bored with our faith, we know that God is never bored with us, that he is always pursuing us, that he is always after us. And mm-hmm. even if we don't feel like it, and that's, it's really reassuring because when I have emotional feelings, it's easy for something to be feel to feel real. Right. When I'm happy and the emotions well up, it's like I'm happy and I know you know it's it's, it's the you know feelings can be really um, real and concrete, you know. Uh, but sometimes we don't feel our faith, and yet knowing that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that God is delighted whenever I open my eyes in the morning to to look at me. Mm. That's that's something else, man. That that keeps me going. Oh, it's so true. So good. Okay, Preston, you wrote Embodied, which, by the way, I was surprised while reading it to find myself in the pages. I didn't know I was in it, Preston. 
Well, that was a happy surprise. Uh, did I not check with? Oh my word! I I usually <laughs> check with all the people. I I did not. Oh my word! That's totally fine. It wasn't like, dude, I know this lady and she cray. It was like really good. So don't even. <laughs> and I knew you checked with Kat. It was. I just was like, oh wow, look at me. Um, Hi, I'm there. Yeah. Hello. Okay, but it's so good. I literally sat down. I read it in two sittings, which I didn't think that I would. Not going to lie. I thought it was going to be a little yeah. too heady for me, yeah. um, but it's easily, <laughs> praise the Lord, digestible. Okay. But the world has been digesting it. Christian culture has been digesting it. What's something positive perhaps you're already seeing in just a little yeah. bit of time it's been out uh, as far as feedback? Yeah. I, honestly, it's just, it's exactly that. Um, I, I I mean, both of you guys can can tell that like this could have been a very academic book. That yeah. the content matter, the you know, if you go to the end notes, you can see there's just lots of just really heavy data and and studies and science and theology and all this stuff. Like it could it could easily have been a 400 page academic book. And so it took me several drafts to not lose the 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 depth of the content, but to make it accessible. And that was one, well, there's several reasons why I was holding my breath when it was released, that, but that was one, that was one. You know, I, I, I wanted to make sure that somebody without a seminary degree could not just understand it, but actually enjoy, like, enjoy it. Like, wow, this, this is, you know, what one, one responder said, I feel like I'm sitting down with a cup of coffee talking to you when I'm reading the book. And to me, that's, that's, um, mm-hmm. that, that is one of my, my, one of my writing goals is that people would have that feeling. I, I know as a reader, like, I love reading a book that I don't want to put down or that I feel like, man, I already read 50 pages. I, I didn't think I was you know, going that fast. So um, yeah, that's been a great feedback. You know, I've gotten feedback from some trans readers. It's been good. Uh, some, some of it's critical, but oftentimes it's, you know, the, the, the most common response from some trans people um, and trans is, you know, we're going to get into this such yeah. a broad category. That can mean a many different types of people, but, um, the, typically the response is something like, this is a lot better than I was expecting (laughs) (laughs) because when a non-trans people, person's writing a book on this topic, the assumption is they're just going to miss it. They're going to use language poorly. They're not going to get it, you know, and I don't, I, I will never fully get it, you know? Um, but I, I tried, I tried my best and, and I, um, I'm glad that, um, some trans readers, you know, felt that as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so Preston, I mean, obviously you're a scholar, you, you read a lot in preparation for this book and, and I mean, all the different sides that are kind of out there. And so if you can, like, can you give us a rundown? What are some of the quote unquote sides that you came across in the preparation research writing of this book? That's a great question. And, and, um, I think it's really important to clarify up front that unlike the, LGB or sexuality conversation where there's kind of one main question, you know, mm-hmm. is, is it okay to be in a same sex sexual relationship? Like that's, everybody kind of knows that that's the question when it comes to the trans conversation. It's like, well, what are we even talking about? You know, I hear people say, well, they just need to repent, you know, like, well, repent from what? Like what, what's the moral, do you even know what the moral question we're even asking? You know, like, and so the, it's, it's a really, um, because the trans conversation raises all kinds of other questions, not all of which are necessarily like, quote unquote, moral. 
Um, it raises questions about human nature and the relationship between the body and the brain. And um, how can men and how should men and women act? You know, is there something men should do that women can't do and vice versa? And, and there's just a lot of questions that people don't even know to ask. So because of that, there, there are no like two neatly divided camps, you know, there's no, there are no um, liberals and conservatives in this conversation. What I mean by that is, you know, again, going back to the same sex marriage debates, you have conservatives who said no, those, you know, liberals or progressives said yes, you know, and you, you kind of like, you can in a very lazy way, just kind of rely on your tribe to tell you what view you're supposed to hold, right? And again, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that's often what happens. In this conversation, you can't do that. There's no, you know, some of the most volatile debates in this conversation are between atheist radical feminists and atheist radical trans activists who are voting for the same person. <laughs> they are, um, line, they line up politically, they line up socially, they line up, uh, they're on the same page with same-sex marriage, you know, but when it comes to this conversation, it's just, it's not, it doesn't fit neatly into that kind of package. So, yeah, I mean, okay, so that's a long backstory, but um, the, the different uh, positions, one big one would be, um, is it helpful or ethically permissible uh, for somebody to transition, to, to um, take surgical steps to change or, or attempt to change their biological sex. That would be a big, like, ethical, moral question. But even that, there's a spectrum. You know, some people say, yeah, it's totally fine for an adult to do it, uh, but we don't think teenagers should do it. A lot of older trans people say, obviously, I'm for transitioning. I did it 10 years ago or whatever, but, like, I don't think it's okay for a 13-year-old or 15-year-old to do it. Um, there's other people who say, I'm not sure if it's morally okay, but it does make people happier. There's other people who say it's totally morally fine, but it's not going to make people. So even within the question of should somebody transition, there's a spectrum of perspectives. Um, there's um, practical questions about pronoun usage, practical questions about, you know, bathrooms and how we should navigate that. Uh, there's philosophical different camps on, um, what determines whether you're a male, male or female? Is it your body alone or does your brain play a role in determining whether you're male or female? So, yeah, I could keep going. But, yeah, see, as you can see, there's just there's not. It's a web of complex questions um, that the good thing about this conversation is, is you can't hide behind your, tr your tribe. It, it's can't do it. You, you actually have to wrestle with some of the hard questions that the trans conversation has sort of unearthed, you know. Well, and I think even what you just said may surprise some people. You know, I got approached this week with a question and it's like, well, you know, there's one side that's like, oh, no, they're saying uh, they're affirming. And I was like, affirming of what when it comes to the transgender? Right. And they're like, well, I'm like, same sex marriage. That doesn't relate necessarily to this. And so I think even what you said to realize, oh, wait, it's not just if I'm more conservative, then it's a no. And if I'm more liberal, then it's a yes. There's even ma major debate. Now, some of the reason is because there's different categories of trans and throughout the book, you know, you use the word trans and there's an asterisk. Why do you do that with the asterisk? And then can you talk about a few of the different, you know, there's people with gender dysphoria, intersex yeah. gets thrown in there, but then we have this rapid onset gender dysphoria. Those are three massive things I just threw at you, but just help us unpack just <laughs> what trans means for those who are like, 
What do you mean there's not two sides? Help us understand. Right. So I use trans with the asterisk and that this is something that um, many trans people use, although I've recently heard, you know, some people don't like that anymore. So, I mean, that no matter what you say, no matter what you do, there's going to be somebody who is going to like it and somebody's not going to like it. So yeah. um, on, on the whole, uh, trans with an asterisk is an umbrella term to capture many different kinds of uh, gender identities, uh, including transgender um, or some older trans people like prefer the term transsexual. Um, and, and we can get into that, the, the, the difference there. Um, or other terms like non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, uh, demigender, and there's dozens and dozens of other uh, terms that are different th- from transgender, um, but are very much related to it. So trans with an asterisk is a way to say all, all of those kinds of alternative, uh, alternative um, atypical, maybe uh, is the best word, uh, gender identities. Um, so if I want to say transgender, uh, trans is an umbrella term. The, the most basic common maybe denominator that would include all of these different um, gender identities, the most common thing that most of them would experience is some level of incongruence between their biological sex and their either their uh, how they express themselves. Maybe it goes it's different than how most people of that biological sex express themselves, or maybe there's an incongruence between their biological sex and what's called gender identity or their internal sense of who they are. Now I say most people, because there are some people who have a, um, a more kind of, well, so let me, um, so gender dysphoria would be the psychological term used to describe people who have some kind of uh, serious level of incongruence that is causing some kind of psychological distress. So gender dysphoria is more the psychological term used to describe this incongruence. But and it's not chosen. Um, this isn't like a, I woke up no. and I like this. No, 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 not at all. No, it, it can be, um, it can range from mild to severe. And if it's severe, it's, significantly debilitating like like panic attacks Mm -hmm. crippling anxiety just to get dressed and leave the leave your house like Mm -hmm. to go outside where there's other humans can be a can cause crippling anxiety for the for the severe cases Uh, some people it's more mild or moderate sometimes it comes in waves sometimes it goes away too i mean at 61 to 88 percent of children who experience this this condition uh in it the dysphoria ends up going away after puberty. Um, for some people, it's lifelong. It's, it's from cradle to grave. From the time they were two or three years old, people are going to experience gender dysphoria. So yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not, um, it's not chosen. <laughs> Nobody would ever, ever wake up and say, I want dysphoria, you know? Um, and it's not like, uh, again, going back to our kind of moral dis- discussion, I, I think we should view it through the lens of a, um, and I'm really careful, trying to be careful with my words. I, I think psychological condition um, w- would be a, a good way to describe it. Something that is going on in, in, in their mind that is causing uh, distress. Um, uh, yeah, So, it, but, but it's important to understand not every trans person experiences gender dysphoria. In fact, there's a whole... So it, within the trans conversation, I'll be brief here, but... Um, 
you know, there's one view on one end of the spectrum that says, unless you are diagnosed with gender dysphoria, you're not really trans. Okay. You need to be diagnosed with this con- condition. And there's another other side of the spectrum that might say something like, you know, I don't need some, you know, um, gatekeeping medical professional to tell me I'm trans. Like I will tell you if I'm trans, if I say I'm trans then I'm trans, uh, I don't need gender dysphoria as some, you know, criteria to, and, and that's another perspective. And I would say more, maybe uh, younger people might tend more to that position, more older trans people um, tend more towards the medical di- diagnosis. So trans does not mean you have gender dysphoria, although most trans people do experience some level of gender dysphoria. So that's the concise version of that's it. Uh, you just <laughs> slayed. <laughs> okay so someone's listening who's like oh my gosh okay you told me that there's all of these different sides i thought i just had one side and i was against transitioning and then i wait so it's a psychological condition okay so they're not choosing it okay but i know some teenagers they're just picking it left and right can you talk for a hot second about rapid onset gender dysphoria Yes. Uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria is, is more the technical word used to describe. Well, I guess it's kind of built into the term rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, cases where gender dysphoria seems to kind of come out of nowhere, like overnight, you know. Um, now, if you get underneath the term rapid onset gender dysphoria, what we're what we are talking about is this um, uh, phenom- phenomenon going on today across most almost all western wealthy countries um where there's been a, a hockey stick spike k- kind of is that what's called a yeah, hockey stick graph spike increase among especially biological f- uh, females uh identifying as trans or coming out and identifying as something other than their biological sex so there's been a for instance in the united kingdom a five thousand percent increase in the last 10 years with uh teenage females, biological females going to gender clinics, you know, questioning who they are. So, um, yeah. And so that's raised, that's raised questions because, um, in the past, prior to 10 years ago, gender dysphoria as a clinically diagnosed, diagnosable condition was primarily something males experienced. I think it was three to one or four to one male to female, um, and a very small percentage. I mean, uh, the DSM says 0.014% of people have been di- diagnosed with gender dysphoria, uh, 2013. Um, and so now we have, you know, a huge percent, massive percentage of, uh, female, female teenagers coming out as trans. And it seems to happen overnight. It seems to happen in a cluster of friendship, like a, like four of their friends also came out that week and their favorite teacher came out last week, you know, so it has raised the question question and this is very politically incorrect not incorrect but it's just it's it's a volatile suggestion but you know people do kind of say well Preston this is controversial I can't believe you're talking about this I'm like everything in this in this conversation is controversial if you're going to open your mouth and mention anything related to trans you are entering into controversy so let's kind of get over it let's just have a good honest humanizing discussion it raises the question, rapid onset gender dysphoria raises the question, is there something going on in the social environment among some of these teens that is playing some role in um, shaping the trans identity? And there's been studies done by, again, very liberal people. I mean, um, 
Lisa Littman of Brown University is the one who kind of coined the term Brown, uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria and many other uh, psychologists have said the same thing. Like there does seem to be um, some sort of societal influence or they call it social contagion um, that is playing some role. Not that that's all, all we can blame it on, but is, is encouraging um, many biological females to question uh, their biological sex. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. And if you're in ministry, man, this is something you gotta be aware of because I mean, I'm getting emails all over the place from pastors saying, you know, three kids in youth group just came out as trans, you know, like that, that's a literal this week, you know, and, and I was talking to somebody and they came out as trans to me, you know, and it's something we need to not uh, have a knee jerk reaction. I think we need to understand kind of what's going on and, and the questions that psychologists are asking so that we can better walk with people and shepherd people and be good um and so that we can embody the grace and truth of Jesus, right? To, to people who uh, might be really wrestling with some serious stuff in their life. Hey guys, it's Lori. And Matt. And Steve. Hey guys, we have recently discovered a new to us translation of the Bible called the Christian Standard Bible. And you know what? We love it. <laughs> Currently, we really like the Holy Land Illustrated Edition. Yeah. I love that one because I've never been to Israel or Turkey or anything. And so to like see those places while I'm reading. Yeah, it just, it makes you feel like uh, like you're experiencing it without having to drop a few thousand dollars to do so. Uh, yeah. So guys, if you want to check out this Holy Land Illustrated Bible, visit csbholylandillustratedbible.com. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Preston. I'm picturing pastors, leaders in their church, and they're like, okay, well, I'll have compassion on the people with gender dysphoria, but I'm going to search out all these teens and I'm going to nail them to the wall for their choosing this, you know? (laughs) I'm not saying do that. Here's what I'm going to go is toss it to you, Preston. If you were a youth pastor right now and you had three people come out as trans, like, Mm -hmm. what would you do? How would you talk about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so I, w- without thinking of any like specific individual in mind, but if I can just think on a broad level, yeah. um, when you look at people who have studied kind of like hundreds of different kids who would fit this profile coming out as trans kind of out of nowhere um, as a teenager in, in a social environment where there seems to be uh, where that seems to be encouraged, maybe on some level, there's several common things that are that are going on in the lives of many of these kinds of teenagers. Uh, number one, they're typically wrestling with sometimes two, three, four, five other mental health issues. Um, they're 10 times more likely to be on the autism spectrum than and oft, oftentimes it hasn't been diagnosed. They're OCD three times higher. Uh, they're oftentimes dealing with high levels of anxiety, depression, loneliness. Um, so there's lots of stuff going on in this person's life that is I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's the only thing that's causing the dysphoria or trans identity. I'm saying it's, it's all wrapped up into this beautiful, messy, you know, um, complex um, life journey that they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes coming out as trans gives them a sense of belonging and elevates um, their social status in their social environment, whether it's an online community or their school community, almost in almost every case, according to the studies, coming out as trans doesn't add more stigma. It, it 
it gives them some entry into belonging to a, a community. Um, and, they, and oftentimes it's celebrated. So my question is, what's going on in the life that they feel that they feel like they don't belong? Um, why are they searching for belonging for, for high, higher social status or, 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 or praise or celebration like that? We all desire that, right? Those are good desires um, and they should be met. So my question is, why aren't they being met? Um, uh, in, in maybe maybe in the home, maybe at the church, maybe in, at school or whatever. So again, I, we need to get underneath. We need to look past these identities, not past. We need to look through these identities yeah. to the person um, and, and really have the um, kindness and patience of Christ to, to get to know this, this human being in front of you and, and listen and love and, and find out what's, what's going on in their life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that kind of knee jerk reaction. Cause if people get here, like all these teenagers are coming out as trans and it's a big fad and it could produce this kind of like bitter, re- resentful re- reaction. And that's just not, that's not the reaction we should go for. You know, we, we can ad- think through and address and, and we could even be like concerned, you know, gosh, I think there's something going on here that, that it's concerning. Like that's okay. But our response can't be outrage. It needs to be one of understanding and patient love. Mm, so good. Well, and, and it seems like for, for you, you have people who legitimately do have a diagnosed gender dysphoria, but then there's this other piece that you're talking about, which is almost this deconstruction of what it means to be male and female. And, and a lot of it is about language. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, I know that from from working the trans people that I've worked with, there's often this. It's like they change their name. Even I, I can think of multiple multiple occasions where people have come in and said, "Oh, I actually don't go by that name anymore. I I, yeah. I, I stopped going by that one last week, and now I'm going by this one." And it's like, okay, and I try and meet them there. But it just really really exemplifies this this idea that yeah, there's some major searching that's going on mm-hmm. for, for their identity, for their place, for their belonging. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and if you couple that with, let's say they have like a pronounced dysphoria, you know, with, with some either aspects of their body or their body as a whole, like it, it just, mm-hmm. there, there's so much nuance to it. And there's so much just, yeah. they're, they're asking so many questions. And so in, in light of that, in light of like the fact that, yeah, there's this massive searching period. Um, oftentimes the church will want to say, well, you need to try and find a way to align with, with the way that you were born with your biological sex. And, and do you, is there, or what is the best or most compelling, I guess, biblical argument in your mind for kind of the pursuit of that alignment as best as one can? Yeah, uh, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think we, uh, people, some people don't like when I do this. I, I always ask questions about questions, you know, I think, but I, you know, to align with your biological sex, even, even that alone, like what, what does that even mean? Um, does it mean we have to dress a certain way or we have to act stereotypically masculine or feminine? You know, I, I know that's not what you're saying, but that's, that, that's some people are like, right. they might, they might either mean that or somebody on the other end, when they hear align with your biological sex, they might, think that's what you're doing. So you just want me to, you know, if you're a female, you just want me to grow my hair along, wear a dress, you know? Well, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. You know? So I, I do think, um, you know, the, the, the way I've worded it 
more recently, I think, is that I do think um, based on, if you want to go, you know, biblical Genesis one twenty seven, um, God created them in his own image and male and female, he created them. So there's this, this connection, some kind of connection or intertwining with our image bearing status and our embodied self, not just our embodied self, but our sexual bodies, male and female, which is a statement of biological sex, not, not gender mm-hmm. identity. Um, male and female, he created them. That's correlated with bearing God's image. I think that's our bodies and specifically our sexual bodies, our bodies that are sexually different. Um, I think that matters. Like, like our bodies are meaningful for human identity. So I would say, I, I do think biological sex, and let me just, I'm talking about, let's just say non-intersex people without an intersex condition. Cause I know some people want to throw that in really quickly and we can talk about intersex in a second if we want to, but for 99.99% of people that are clearly male or female, their biological sex is a significant part in determining human identity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, how we live that out, that that's, that's a bigger, more complicated question. I, while the Bible does uphold and I would say celebrate, our biological sex and sex differences. It also gives us a tremendous amount of freedom and flexibility in what it means to live that out. I, to put it more specifically, I don't think that the Bible morally mandates gender stereotypes, masculinity and femininity. Um, you can have someone like King David, you know, who had some masculine traits, like, you know, he was, he was into like killing giants with a slingshot and pretty masculine thing, but he also played a harp, wrote poetry, cried a lot, had tons of emotions. He wrote half of the Psalms, which is leading with emotion. And when Jonathan died, he said, your love to me was better than the love of women. Like I dare any guy listening, any straight guy to turn to your best friend who's a guy and say, I love you more than women and see what happens. You know, people are like, Oh no, you know, um, <laughs> that that's considered a very non-masculine thing to say. The Bible does not sanitize our cultural, culturally driven gender stereotypes. Some women stay at home and make babies. Other women win wars, you know, like Deborah and, 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 um, Yael and, and judges four and five. Um, the Bible gives us a lot of flexibility in, in living out this beautiful God-given sexed identity as male uh, and female. Um, yeah. When you make that really beautiful argument, not only from Genesis, but then you, you take a little Francis Chan approach, but you probably, this isn't new with him, but just start with heaven and work backwards. Uh, so you, yeah. you go to heaven and you work backwards too. So if we're to live into the new kingdom, your mm-hmm. argument there's several, but it's also to live into eternity where we'll still be male and female. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, I think the best and, and most Christian ethicists, this is not, this is kind of one-on-one um, that we take our ethical, well, the biblical writers, including, well, and Jesus take, they take their ethical cues by looking back to Genesis one and two as kind of the blueprint, but also looking forward to the new creation in Christ, like where, you know, how did God create the world and wire us and, and what was his blueprint? And then how is he going to reconcile all things in, in the end? So we, we have to keep looking kind of back and forward and back and forward as kind of our ethical framework. And, and, when, we, and when we do that, again, we have God creating this male and female in the garden. Um, and in the, in the end, we have a, the resurrection of our bodies. Like from beginning to end, our bodies matter. 
And I do think it's, uh, you know, there's some debates about this that, you know, will we be sexed in the new, crea- new creation? Will our resurrected bodies be right. male and female? I, I think there's a much better case biblically that they will be. Now, some people look at, well, there's no marriage in heaven in Matthew 22. Well, <laughs> people who aren't married today are still male or female. Like, right. <laughs> um, or people look at, you know, Galatians 3.28, you know, there's neither male nor female. But if you, if you look at that context, he's not saying males and females don't exist. He's just saying like in the kingdom of God, the hierarchy that existed in the first century between man and woman, you know, men were higher social status, that has been leveled. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all of those kind of social statuses are leveled in the kingdom of God. Not that they're, they don't exist. Those, those, those identities don't exist anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think when, when we look at that kind of look back, look forward, I do think our sexed bodies matter. And, and, you know, first Corinthians six, Paul, he, he roots his sexual ethic in the body. Like we, it's, I think scripture, scripture makes a really clear case that our bodies are not uh, morally neutral canvas that we can do whatever we want with. And that applied, this is the beauty of the trans conversation is hopefully this should cause non-trans people to reflect on, am I living that out? Yeah. I, I don't want to just lob a ethical bomb at <laughs> trans people. I want to say, okay, am I, um, am I treating my body and, and, and with dignity yeah. and respect and, and treating it as, as more a moral piece of who I am, you know? Well, and, and I'm really actually glad you asked that question because as you're talking, this is what I'm thinking about is like, okay, if, if a lot of times the, the line that you may not cross in people's minds is like, you can't change your body. You can't alter your body in this way. Yet we look at things like, Hey, I'm here wearing glasses. I would love to get LASIK one day. Like, huh, is yeah. that all of a sudden morally reprehensible? And, and people would probably be like, no, it's not. Because it doesn't, you know, change your identity or change your sexual parts of you. But okay, then, then you have the question of, okay, what about getting, you know, a, a vasectomy and no longer yeah. allowing for procreation or children? Like, wh- where does that ethical guideline like it, it, it seems like those are spaces where we don't ask, is this an ethical thing at all? And I'm not going to sit here and land the plane on any of that because. How about I, you do, Preston? Fix it. <laughs> That's your job. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, no, I, I think honestly, simply asking those questions is 90% of the, the, the game. I mean, I, it, that that's a daring question to raise in church to just simply say, Hey, do you think getting a vasectomy is, is morally okay? And Oh man, you'll draw out all kinds of autonomy and, and, you know, I'm, I can do what I want by, you know, it's like, well, hold on. Like if we say God, God owns our bodies, then we should at least raise the question. Is this something ethically we should do? And honestly, I don't have a clear answer on, on that one, that, that one, that one's, yeah. Um, is that going against God's design for our bodies? Um, mm. It could, it could be, could not, I mean, we at least need to argue our position. I think the glass, I think there are, you know, it's a, it's a spectrum, right? I mean, I think addressing certain physical ailments where we are using creation to r- restore the original design of our body. So our, our eyes are designed to see, um, when that is diminished and if we have ways to enhance the very design or restore the very design that, that they, that the mm-hmm. eyes obviously have, then I think that's would be on a, you know, I think that would be fairly easy to say. I think that'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but if we do something to our bodies that seems to go clearly against um, the way it's originally designed, and I think that would raise another set of questions, um, especially if we're not like, you know, if there's like a severed arm or something and we're trying to repair that arm, it's like, well, that's, there's something clearly like identifiably wrong with that thing that we are operating on. Um, your eyes, you know, clearly your eyes are designed to see. So if that's diminishing and you do something to enhance the original design, then that's another question. So I, I think we have to ask those kind of questions before we even give a yes or no, like this is right, this is wrong, that's okay, I can get a vasectomy, um, but maybe you can't get a you know breast enhancement. You know, it's like we need to have, like think more clearly about the logic of, of of how we're even reasoning. So um, yeah, it, so with, with transitioning, I mean, I mean, it does. You do seem to have um, biblical reasons for saying that your biological sex is part of your human identity and. God does not desire you to try to identify as, be seen as, or or present as the opposite sex. I'm not talking about females wearing short hair, guys doing ballet. I'm not talking about gender stereotypes. I'm talking about like fundamentally presenting as, or or trying like trying to to live as the opposite sex. Um, you can be a female, identify as a female, and be you know, an awesome hockey player and never cry during movies and, you know, like whatever, all the, all the stupid stereotypes, but you're still female. You're still pre identifying as a female. Um, that's different than somebody who is biologically one sex and is presenting as identifying as trying to be seen as the opposite sex that those are two. And again, all I'm saying is those are, those are different kinds of questions that we should ask. I got to ask this question because if a pastor hasn't been asked what do I do by a parent who has a teenager who has just come out as trans or non-binary or something, which you guys, all these words, just Google them. You can, you can find all the lists underneath the trans umbrella, but pastorally, how should a pastor advise a parent or a parent listening? How should they respond to their kid? They're like, I don't know if it's, you know, if they're really wrestling with gender dysphoria, if this is rapid onset, uh, gender, yeah, dysphoria. <laughs> so, or, yeah. or gen, yeah. So how do I, engage with my yeah. child right in front of my eyeballs. Good. Yeah. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, and, and just to be clear, even if somebody has rapid onset gender dysphoria, even if their gender dysphoria is in part influenced by social contagion, yeah. it still could be very like real gender dysphoria. Exactly. You know, the cause might be slightly different, but it's still, they're still going through something that could be really debilitating. So um, I, I think across the board, uh, listen, 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 uh, love, uh, un try to understand what's going on in the person's life. Show that you care, show that you're committed. You know, um, it, I, it, almost everybody who's experiencing some level of dysphoria, whether it's early onset, lifelong or rapid onset, there, there's stuff going on in their life that they, that, that we need to dig into and dig into it. Not, not just jump in and confront or don't do this. What does that identity mean? Or um, you're just, you know, being trendy or whatever, you know, some people that's the, the, those are bad approaches. Like we need to be good, good listeners and get to know the heart of the person and understand, understand their journey where they're at. Hopefully we can do so in such a way that we would be invited into their life to, to be able to journey with them. And with teenagers, like I, I'm a parent of four teenagers, three teenage daughters. 
teenagers are teenagers and, and they, they're, they're going through so much stuff, you know, they're, the teenage brain is an interesting thing to study. You know, I know you guys have done work. It's just like, let's just deep breath, not freak out, be committed to our uh, person who they are at 15 probably will be different than who they are at 25. And I'm not saying your 15 year old trans kids not going to be trans at 25. I'm just saying categorically your 15 year old teenager will be a different person at 25. That's just an observation of human nature. So um, this is the beginning of the journey. You want to be, invited into their life so that you can be with them throughout their journey and not be cut off because you, you know, um, were super aggressive, you know, in confronting them. Uh, and thank you for that, that corrective, uh, just even in my question asking if, even if it's rapid onset guys, it's still a struggle, uh, whether it's yeah, early onset rapid, we need to accept in love just as we want to be accepted in love, no matter how they're wrestling. And one, um, I love all you're saying. And just as Matt and I have been able to journey with like, thank you for putting me in the book, by the way, it was great. Uh, but every time you said the word like long suffering or time, mm -hmm. or this is a long discipleship journey, you guys, yeah. it is. The person that you talked about me walking with, Kat, it was years before she identified as she. And right. I, I didn't like put my foot down and say, no, 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 she, she, she. Um, so guys, just parents, I just want to say the long suffering and the long loving, just as you want to be long suffered and long loved alongside, but then to be listening for their self heart diagnosing sentences. Help me under, how's it going at school? Like how's, how are your friends? And they're the words coming out of their mouth are going to tell you exactly how they need the church and how they need God. And I just, you know, I just so love my new LGBT friends. I just, I'm loved and belong by them. I need to be loved and belong with God of the church and by their friends. Their friends are showing them God too. But I just think there's so much self-diagnosis that if we're willing to stop our hair lighting on fire when it comes to the trans conversation or anything LGBT, we're going to hear people self-diagnose how and where they need God and his people. Preston, any last words for us, uh, for people who are... Um, maybe feeling a little soothed by this, uh, but just maybe want just one more exhortation to love. I would say, you know, uh, we need to love people well. We also need to think well too. Uh, think deeply and love widely. So love people well. And I would also say really educate yourself in this conversation. Um, it's, it's 2021 and, and we can't say like, oh, it's not relevant enough. Like this is a hugely relevant topic. Um, so yeah, I think uh, engage it, study Learn the terms, love people well. Love it. And guys, the best book on it is Preston. <laughs> it's probably the only one, but no, that really engages it with such grace and truth and handles the sides in a way where you can uh, read it and digest it. Not only understand some of the theological aspects, uh, but some of the science and the practical how to, how do you engage bathrooms or overnight trips, um, you know, with your youth group, Preston is, is going to tap into it uh, with creativity and winsomeness and that gospel truth. So Preston, thank you for the gift that you gave us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. All right, guys, you heard it here. I've only given him a plug like a thousand times, but it's worth it. You need to read it if you are really our pastor leader anyone who is engaging this conversation. However, really as a Christian, just because you will if you haven't already encountered someone who's wrestling in these ways, and we really want to love well and offer um, 
you know, winsome biblical advice. And I say that with a caveat because it's not just trans people who need advice. We want it back. We want to be in relationship. I, some of my dearest friends close to my heart is someone who's in that book, Kat. Um, and she, I learned from her all the time. And if I had been too scared to engage this conversation, I would have been missing out majorly on such a treasure of a human who I get the pleasure of walking alongside and I get to learn so much from her. So check it out. Embodied is what it's called on Amazon. Guys, we do have a question of the week for next week. You can hit us up at podcast at lauricreeg.com to answer it or just follow Lori Krieg, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G on the socials. Here's the, here's the question. What song describes your life right now? I feel like we're going to get some good jokes on this one. I want to I I hear literally and figuratively. Oh, man. Thanks again to Preston Sprinkle for sharing so much with us today. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we'll see you next week. Bye.